Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Well, I'm happy to have here with me today as part of our Table Talk podcast series, three operators who have been dealing with the fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic on Canada's food service industry. I'd like to welcome Frank Hennessy, President and CEO of Recipe Unlimited, one of Canada's premier restaurant companies, Alex Rikiki, President of Crave It Restaurants, and last but not least, Anita Mancuso, owner of Sotovoce Restaurants, an independent Toronto restaurant. First of all, thank you so much to all of you for making time out of your busy and, uh, let's say, unpredictable schedules these days for a very special edition of my Table Talk podcast. So, so welcome to everybody, and uh, and thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Well, I thought we'd start off with, you know, the question, I guess, that's on everybody's mind these days with uh, regard to businesses and how they're coping with this pandemic. Um, I thought we'd start off with, you know, having you tell our listeners how this situation has impacted your companies uh, directly and, uh, and what it's meant for you moving forward in terms of either restaurant closures or um, downsizing staff anything that you've had as an impact. So Frank, you're the biggest company on board here today. So why don't we start with you? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, recipe is not immune to what's going on in the industry and it's pretty devastating for, for everyone. I think, you know, in our situation, um, you know, we have over 20, 20 banners and the vast majority of them are, are completely closed. Um, we are fortunate that we do have some uh, some brands that uh, already do a significant portion of their business in in off premise, and so uh, they they continue to operate. But uh, you know, there's no question this is this is devastating across the board. Um, you know, when you have to when you have to get to situations where you're laying off people that in some cases are just going paycheck to paycheck you know, that's pretty tough to do. And, and even though we're a large franchisor, you know, the, the, la- the vast majority of our constituents are small business owners, uh, you know, who have, you know, everything uh, that they own tied to their, to, to, to their business. And so there's a, there's a great deal of anxiety out there. And, you know, what we're trying to do as a, as a company is do everything we can to make sure that, there's liquidity for, for these operators and that we can uh, keep the lines of communication open to, you know, help ease that anxiety as much as possible. So you've mentioned that you're fortunate to have some restaurants that do have off premise. So uh, a company like Swiss Chalet, for example, um, you're still providing takeout, I, I assume. Yeah, you know, with Swiss Chalet and St. Hubert and, and Harvey's, uh, we're, we're doing takeout, delivery, you know, drive-through. Um, we have, you know, but we've even had to change kind of how that operates. So we've gone to contactless delivery, uh, curbside pickup, 
uh, some of our guys are getting, especially on the Harvey sides, are getting very kind of creative on the drive-throughs and, and adding kind of a Canadiana uh, twist to it, where they're putting the pin pads on the on the end of hockey sticks and, and <laughs> having people uh, do it that way. So you know, everyone's trying to do it in as good a spirit as possible. And and you know, what's really amazing is not just our staff that are you know you know doing this and dealing with this every day. Uh, but just how the community comes together and people understand. Um, and uh, for the most part, uh, everyone's trying to cooperate to, to, to kind of get through the day. And with your brands like the keg, for example, I assume that's completely shut down. Or are you providing pickup or anything like that at that brand? Yeah, no, the keg is completely closed. Uh, the landing group, beer market, those places, um, yeah, they're, they're completely shut down. Okay. Um, Alex, how about from your perspective? What is, what is this meant for, for your business? Um, best way I can describe it is, you know, I guess a couple of weeks ago, it's, it's kind of like a restaurant triage, right? Trying to figure out uh, what's the challenge of the day. Certainly, you know, turning the clock back two and a half weeks. Um, you know, the biggest of our banners is the Burgers Priest with 21 corporate locations and, uh, you know, just trying to understand how this was going to impact our business. Um, you know, we, we have historically done quite a few sales, quite a percentage of our sales online. Um, it's certainly not the preference uh, with the commissions that we pay, but we've been able to adapt to some extent. We've, you know, we've, we've had some significant layoffs uh, across the board and we've had issues with, you know, willingness of employees to work or their unwillingness to work. Uh, and, you know, we've had to we've had to obviously deal with those issues. But the priority for us has always been the safety of our employees and the safety of, of our guests um, and, you know, trying to set up our restaurants, especially when we have some restaurants that are you know 2000 square feet and our smallest is 350 square feet in the beaches. Uh, you know, some restaurants we've had to put buzzers on the doors just to control the drivers and, and enforce the physical distancing. Um, you know, so we're, we're making a, a adaptations along the way. You, you know, yesterday, one of our busiest uh, higher volume restaurants for delivery, you know, we, we refitted and uh, kind of restructured the entire layout to ensure there was enough physical distancing uh, between our staff members as well. So I think, uh, you know, guests have been really supportive. Our employees have been incredible. Uh, we, we share a call every single day at 10 a.m. And uh, we gather a lot of feedback from from our frontline and our general managers and, uh you know, just everybody coming together and, and the communication has been really at the heart of it, uh, making sure we're communicating. I think anybody on this call or anybody in the restaurant industry could, you know, is equipped to deal with what we're dealing with. So it, it's just been an ongoing day to day uh, management style and, and just really imp- increasing the level of communication, both with our employees and, and our guests at, at every level. So. So you mentioned you had to lay off, um, you know, obviously employees. What does the number look like on that end? Uh, so if I look at across all of our brands, uh, it's over 200 employees that have been laid off at the restaurant level. Um, I think the number is close to 225. I'll get a final number today. Uh, you know, some of that includes just some employees, uh, you know, not having, not, not being willing to work. Uh, and then obviously with our other brands being predominantly franchised, uh, you know, uh, some of them have closed. Uh, we're only operating uh, three locations on the Via Chivo side. And uh, so we've had some layoffs there as well. So it's been significant. Uh, even at our head office, we've, been, we've incurred some layoffs and really just focused on the day-to-day operations of the restaurants. And, you know, the, the, the people that are responsible for that uh, are the people that we've been able to maintain employed. 
Okay. And Anita, from, from your end, you know, you're an independent restaurant with one location, uh, downtown Toronto. What has this pandemic done to your restaurant? It must be pretty devastating for a single unit owner. Uh, it's uh, completely devastating because, um, unfortunately, I don't have the luxury to um, have any other uh, store or any other avenue to depend upon. It's just that location. So um, we're a small neighborhood restaurant and we had to close uh, on the 16th, had to lay off all our staff and there really isn't an option. There are our store um, doesn't really function to, to take out. We could try and adapt. Uh, we've thought it through. We actually have talked to a lot of our colleagues in the neighborhood who have tried the takeout um, thing uh, and, and they're not doing well. And most of them are, are probably going to close that avenue down. It's, you know, the whole thing about coming to our restaurant in our neighborhood is the experience of going out. It's just not to eat. You know, it's right. not so primal. It's a little bit more of an experience. So despite that our clients have been um, begging us to do takeout, it, um, there's a fear factor on the, on the side of the staff and the chefs who, you know, they are supporting their small kids and they're afraid if they get sick that they'll be out of commission and not be able to provide for their families. So right. we're closed. So so the restrictions or the, or the reason that you haven't wanted to jump in to take out are, are basically um, due to the fact that maybe some of the staff is not comfortable doing it. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Well, there's lots of things. What you're hearing is people are afraid to work, to be in contact. They're trying to do the best they can. Sure. Abide by all the rules and staying, you know, distanced and away. And yet uh, I'm supposed to ask them to work in a space that doesn't even have six feet. Mm-hmm. To stand between each other so sure. I can have one employee working on half the restaurant and one at the door it it doesn't really uh it's, it's not that feasible it might be something we have to try um but the main and the main reason to why is that uh it it's not financially um it's not profitable people are right. losing money yeah. in in my neighborhood, in the small businesses of the people that I know in the industry, we've been in contact with all of them. We're a very tight little network um, and people are losing money. So they're putting their staff at risk and losing money at the same time. So it, it just it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work now for sure. And, and you've been there for many years. So um, how many years exactly have you been open? Uh, this may, if we can be open, uh, will be 20 years. 20 years. Okay. So, so basically you're at home, not doing anything right now, like the rest of your staff. Well, it's, uh, we, we took this opportunity being closed to um, give Soda Voce a little makeup job. So we, uh, my husband working by himself has been in there doing, you know, redoing the floors, painting. Right. Uh, and cleaning all the little things that maybe you put off and all the love that's gone into that place <laughs> of little nooks and crannies so he's been there every day um keeping busy just trying to uh clean up and you know pretty up the store change some colors around and i think it it uh it's one way that he can keep his mind uh occupied busy, not as stressed out as as we really are 
<laughs> for sure. And and how many staff did you have on, um, in the restaurant? How many have you had to lay off? Um, I have 10. 10. Okay. All right. So, so obviously the impact of this crisis is just devastating for, for every business out there. Obviously the health perspective is the first thing that it's, um, that it's impacting and, and we want all that to clear up obviously, but you know, 20 years of, of having a restaurant and watching it sit empty and not have any income that that's hard for anybody. Um, and I know that in, in the last couple of weeks, the industry is really kind of got together in different ways Different initiatives are coming out almost on a daily basis now. Uh, obviously, we have Restaurants Canada doing whatever they're, you know, doing to lobby the government and bringing people together. And recently, we've had a new initiative come on board called One Table. And I know, um, you know, all three of you have been involved in this initiative. Um, Frank, can you maybe speak to, to a little bit about this initiative? And then maybe, Alex, you can jump in as well in terms of how it got started and what the goal of this initiative is? Yeah, I mean, it really came from, uh, I have a friend of mine who's an independent uh, restaurateur in Richmond, Virginia. And, um, uh, you know, so obviously this, this impacts restaurants around the world and, and they had done a little video and I just thought it was really well done. And um, as I started talking to, you know, some different independent uh, restaurant owners, you know, there's lots of people like, like Anita out there that, you know, they really, they don't really have a voice. And, you know, we're fortunate in that we have, uh, we have an infrastructure uh, underneath us. Uh, I have some very um, great digital people and, and people that uh, do a lot of videos and things like that. And just thought, you know, listen, we have all this resource, we have all these uh, things that we're doing for our franchisees and in, in helping answer questions and things like that. So, you know, why can't we try to, to provide a voice for um, independent restaurateurs? Because candidly, you know, I firmly believe that the, this is an industry that, you know, obviously recipe exists in, but is only as good and as strong as the independents that that make up the fabric and the richness of the restaurant industry. So, you know, I reached out to Alex, um, and uh, because Alex uh, knows a lot of people like Anita, and uh, asked for his help and saying, "Listen, do you think this is something that, you know, if we kind of provided the infrastructure and 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 had the capabilities, if we could start, you know, giving voice." to to the independents at restaurateurs um, in a more, uh, not in so much a legislative way. I mean, the, that's where Restaurants Canada can really play a part. Uh, and you have other organizations, as you said, that are initiatives are starting out there, and that's all great. But do it in, in much more of a, hey, this is real, this is emotional, this is a lot what our industry is all about, is about emotion. And, and sharing those um, sharing those stories, and and I just think stories are are better understood and and can be conveyed. And hoping that all of this gives a, a, a bigger voice, um, because you know you you asked about layoffs, and I think the latest number I've heard is that somewhere in the restaurant industry, somewhere over seven hundred thousand. You know, we've laid off somewhere between twenty five and thirty thousand people. Incredible. So, you know, this is a, um, 
this is a, a major impact, not just to the industry, but to the Canadian economy. And so that's where it came from. Well, it's a wonderful initiative and, and kudos for, you know, to you for getting this off the ground. Um, Alex, you've been very involved in this and I know you and I spoke recently a little bit about it. Uh, tell me from your end uh, what this has meant for you and taking this on and getting this story out. And Frank, I think, you know, you make a very valid point that it's all about sharing the stories. And, and this is a very big story and a very big narrative that, uh, that you know, people can can really relate to. So Alex, um, tell me a little bit about what got you started with this. Uh, so, you know, I think I, Frank has captured a lot of it and uh, you know, I couldn't agree with, you know, sentiments are bang on. I think the, um, the thing about the One Table Initiative is that, you know, as Frank said, it really captures the voice of every type of operator uh, in this industry. And, you know, the fear is that the restaurant landscape is going to change uh, and, you know, we don't know if it's going to go back to what it was before. And uh, I think that when you look at what's about to happen here, there's really a trickle down effect that's that we're starting to see through our economy and certainly through our industry. Um, you know, the relationship between our employees, our dishwashers, our suppliers, um, you know, our landlords, the banks, our customers, everybody really is kind of sitting at this one table and we're all impacted by what's happened. So I think the, the positioning of the one table initiative and the fact that it's brought all these voices together so quickly, I mean, this was done, I think this was done within 48 hours uh, when Frank emailed me and we chatted uh, and I reached out to a few people and we had quite a few people interested in, in giving their story. Um, the initiative was brought together you know, quickly. And I think the, the fact that everyone is, is suffering you know, the, the same fate uh, it's just a great initiative that captures the voice of every restaurateur in the country. And it's really starting to spread right across, uh, right across from province to province. So how are you deploying this? Are you asking all restaurants? I mean, I know several have been uh, featured in the videos that you referred to. Are you asking all restaurants to link into it on their social media? Uh, how is this being deployed across the country? Yeah, I may I may speak to that for a second. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's uh, again, it's not to replace other industry efforts uh, in in going to politicians, but yeah, we're sharing that through well, in in recipes case through all our brand social channels, uh, asking our suppliers to to get involved, um, and really everyone just to share. And it's not just to to do and share the you know, the, the people that are already on video, but, you know, if you're a bartender, if you're a server, if you have a story, um, is to, to get that, that story out there and to, and to share it, um, under, under, you know, just like kind of linking one table. So it's as much voice as we can give. Um, there's lots of other industries out there. Um, uh, Industries that, that probably better capitalize than than the vast majority inside the restaurant space. So, again, we want our voice uh, certainly heard. So, and Anita, how are you involved in this uh, one table initiative as a smaller restaurateur? Uh, I was contacted by the guys, and um, to be honest. Uh, you know, you feel like you don't have a voice as a small business. And and I think sometimes as I've been speaking to people in the last couple of weeks, um, usually for 20 years, we've been kind of under the radar and we do our thing and um, everyone, we're happy, our, our clients are happy. But this was one of those times I felt like I had to step out of um, 
the shadows and, and kind of have, and say something. Mm -hmm. And the guys were, um, amazing enough to give me that spot to say what was happening. And I I really want to qualify the small business, uh, moniker. I think people in general get really confused, especially with what, what's been announced at the, with the government level of who qualifies under small business. And when you try and explain to people what we are, we're literally micro business. <laughs> you know, we're, we're smaller than small. And so you're like the ant <laughs> trying to run around. Right. And guys gave me a platform that I never would have had access to. Um, to be able to, to speak for people in my position that don't have anyone else to rely on. We use social media for advertising because it's the only economical way to advertise. We don't have those big dollars. We don't, Mm -hmm. we don't function that way. So um, I think it's really important for, for Canadians, for people in the world that, that are suffering we're all doing the same kind of sufferance and yet no one hears us. No one sees us. And this was that beautiful opportunity, um, despite nerve wracking to throw your emotions out there. Mm-hmm. Um, people who know me, know me never to have any. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it was uh, a very difficult thing to do and to um, actually admit um, out loud to the world that you're, having a hard time and uh, because we're the place you go for fun and to have a good time. And no one wants, no one goes out to, to somewhere where it's not fun. <laughs> so, no, that's know, a very good point. You, you don't want to necessarily bring that story out to, to your customers, but at the same time, it's an important one to share, not just for your business, but for other businesses like yours, right? you're giving voice to, to them as well. Exactly. It wasn't my voice. Um, I, with, although over, over the last couple of weeks, there were days that I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. And I've been, you know, we've been scratching our heads going, Oh my God, how are we going to open? This isn't going to work. We're never going to survive this to um, days where I'm like, okay, this is going to be fine. We'll get through it. We're just going to muscle through. Um, but there's, I just wanted to speak for everyone because there's so many, and I know all the people I know and my, uh, all my colleagues are all independents like me and everyone doesn't know what to do. And the reality is not all of them will open again. Oh, undoubtedly. You're right. Um, do you, do you have a sense either Frank or Alice of how many restaurants you've gotten on board with this initiative? Obviously it's, it's Canada, you know, Canada wide, or, or are you focusing more on Ontario? Um, well, we have, uh, we have videos in there from restaurateurs in BC, Alberta will be going up, uh, shortly, uh, the Maritimes, uh, later this week and, um, uh, Quebec as well later this week. So, um, again, it's, it's going to be right across, right across, across the country in the Maritimes. There'll also be, um, uh, some suppliers to, you know, to, Alex's point, you know, this, this industry impacts, you know, again, I think it's one in five, you employ one in five of uh, people in this country. But, you know, when you add in people that touch our industry, it's, it's two in five. So it's a massive business and impacts lots of different people. So again, we're going to go uh, right across and, and, 
And again, it's not that one table is the only initiative. There's, there's other groups that are out there. Um, and, uh, so we link to them on the site and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, just to, to, to get the, get the voice out there and, you know, Nita's, Nita's points are so well taken, right? This is, this is down to neighborhoods. Uh, you know, neighborhoods need to get involved and you have your, you know, you have your local haunt, your local restaurant, your local favorite. Um, you know, it's just important that everybody understand that in, in, for most restaurants that are out there, you know, the, the, as you know, Rosanna, the margins in this business are, are razor thin to begin with. Mm-hmm. don't have a lot of cash just sitting in the bank waiting you know, to be turned off, to have their business turned off for three or four months. Um, you know, and, and it's part of, it's part of what makes society great, uh, is, is the, is the fabric of this restaurant industry. And these restaurants need to survive, but, but things can't, costs can't be deferred. You know, if you say, well, we'll just defer the rent. Right. That, that doesn't work for the majority of, of businesses and, and restaurants, they don't have the ability to pay it back in the future. So that's really where, you know, more and more help is required, um, not just to get through this downtime, but also just to re- be able to restart their business and to be able to survive going forward. Well, Frank, you mentioned uh, an important part in this discussion, and that's the whole issue around rent. Um, you know, a lot of small restaurants, you know, are not going to be able to pay their rents right now. And even some of the larger ones with a lot more financial resources will struggle with this. Um, and, and you mentioned a very good point that, you know, it's not just a case of deferring the rent because you're not going to be able to pay it for a long time. So what's what's the answer there? I know in the States, we recently did a story, I guess, a couple of days ago on the fact that Cheesecake Factory has come out, um, the CEO there in the States and said, basically, he's not going to be paying rent for his units. I loved that approach. Um, what are you doing in that regard? And, and what happens with rent? I mean, tomorrow is April 1st, new month, new rent. Um, how are restaurants going to cope with this if, if it's a case of, you know, it's not enough to defer? Yeah, I think it would be a bigger news story if somebody issued a press release saying they were going to pay rent. But <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, you know, I, it, it's it's a big issue. You're right. Tomorrow's a is, is a big day, and um, um, you know, and I think for the larger, I think the larger landlords uh, get it. Um, you know, but I think where the where the problem becomes is the smaller sort of mom and pop landlord, you know, the person that owns the local strip mall or, you know, owns a particular site, they have mortgages as well. So again, I think this needs to cascade back to the federal government. First things, number one is there should be protection from lockout. So a lot what, you know, you've seen some of the provinces already enact is you can't go padlock a door. And I don't think any landlord wants to get on the other side of the media by going and padlocking a local um, a local restaurant because that restaurant owner couldn't pay rent. I don't think anybody wants those optics. Definitely. Uh, so I just think that needs to be more legislated and 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 these owners protected. Um, but again, there's there's creative ways that you can do things. You can, you know, you could add term onto the uh, onto the end of a 
uh, to the end of a, a, a lease. There's just different ways of, of dealing with this. And I think for the most part, the majority of landlords get it. Um, because if you know people like Anita's restaurant goes, goes out of business, there's not a laundry list of people that are going to go sign up to take over that, that space. Uh, and, and I think landlords understand that. Most of them do. But you will have some cases where uh, people will be, um, will be difficult. So Anita, as a smaller operator, what are you doing on that front with rent? Um, are you in a position that you, you know, you've got some, some resources on that end or how are you dealing with that? Uh, resources? No. Um, but frankly, uh, between uh, the rent, uh, there were, there were some two major things that I always have to pay and the rent is a big one. And that was crushing me. I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I've never missed a payment in 20 years. And, um, my landlord is basically a small business owner. He owns our buildings are not big plazas. They're not any, they're just, um, they're almost little residential buildings. And obviously he needs to survive. I don't want to deplete him either, but, um, I needed, uh, I, I wasn't looking for forgiveness because personally, um, on his part, because he is just another person like me, it didn't make sense. So, um, I had to, uh, you know, as they say, put my big boy pants on and have a big discussion with him on how we could work it out. I came up with a couple of different creative ideas that while we're closed and the doors are not open, um, I'm, I'm not paying rent either. And then when, uh, they are when we reopen, we're going to amortize the months that we were closed over the next uh, six to 10 months or whatever it's going to take. And he was amazing. He, he understood right away and um, he was uh, game to, to work it out that way. And I think um, it's a climate of the times. It's uh, some of the smaller landlords are able to defer their mortgages and they see that it's not a good time to to struggle with the people that are renting and they have to work things out. And that's amazing. But in saying that again, and speaking to my colleagues, not every landlord has been as understanding and some refuse to negotiate. So, um, and there's no pressure other than social pressure um, to put on these people to try and work something out uh, with their tenants. And, you know, that's why, um, the whole industry and, and small business in general, they need that support and that, that kind of direction. Um, and I know it's difficult. It's hard to, how do you order a, a citizen not to get rent from somebody who's renting from them? Of course. No, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough position for sure. Alex, how about uh, your end? Have you been able to, uh, to defer some of those rent payments or how does it work for you? We're, I mean, we're in a similar situation where we deal with some larger landlords, but, you know, for Burgers Priest, most of our locations are, you know, smaller landlords uh, throughout Toronto, uh, different types of spaces. And every, every conversation is a unique, uh, is a new, unique conversation that we have with each and every single one of them. I mean, we've closed a few of the restaurants uh, on the Burgers Priest front, including in Toronto. And we have, we have, uh, you know, some of them still open and operating. The challenge is, is that landlords uh, that see that you're still open are asking for their full rent. And, 
you know, currently right now, our sales uh, across the board are, are down between, I'd say, 35 to 45%. And predominantly, uh, 80% of all those sales are now going through delivery platforms where, you know, it's just, it's just not profitable. Uh, so we're not making money. I mean, the, the objective for us is twofold. Number one is, is to try and keep people employed. And secondly, to be in a better position when this is all behind us to kind of reopen and, you know, reignite the system um, because it, it, it's going to be a pretty significant task ahead of everybody to reopen and rehire uh, a restaurant that's been closed for a couple of months. So, you know, th- our conversations are independent. Uh, we've had some landlords that uh, understand that and we've sat down and looked at every individual situation and said, you know, we've shared our sales with them and said, here's where we're at. This is how much our sales are down by. Uh, you know, this is what we can pay now. Um, and, you know, the dialogue has been good. Some of them are, uh, you know, it's going to take a longer, a longer conversation and it's going to endure itself for a little while. Um, you know, we're trying to work with every single landlord and uh, trying to identify what the different options are. Um, you know, I, I, I agree with Frank's sentiments that deferral is a difficult word um, across all fronts just because, you know, we came off of January and February sales, which typically is the slowest two months of the year for the restaurant industry. So there are no cash reserves. Um, and the challenge with deferral in a lot of situations is that it's just, it's really going to push the problem forward. Um, and we're gonna have to deal with it. And, you know, so we're not able to bring back the sales that have been lost, uh, in restaurants that have been closed or restaurants that are operating at, you know, half capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so deferral is, is a challenge, especially in a restaurant business, like, uh, as French as Frank mentioned, that is, you know, the margins are so thin and they're, 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 you know, non-existent now, whether you're open, uh, and, and running through takeout and delivery, the margins are not there. It's, uh, it's really just trying to minimize the losses and keep the system going and keep people employed. So in, in the last few weeks, we've had you know, several instances where Prime Minister Trudeau has come up with certain um, initiatives and measures to help, uh, to help people, like every business out there and, and consumers as well. But, um, and I know this week he came out with a, uh, an adjustment on you know, the 75% subsidy, which we still have to get more details on. Um, based on what you're, you know, as a group, one table of the whole coalition, what are you looking to see done um, differently by government to help? What is your ask that, you know, we obviously Restaurants Canada is out there lobbying for what they think the industry needs. Uh, I'm sure you have some similarities, but maybe there's other things that you want uh, done as part of that ask. What, what do you think, what does that look like if we had to say, here's a list of two or three measures that we would like to see implemented? What would that be? Um, I'll take a shot at that. First off, I mean, the, the, the one table initiative is, as we've talked about, wasn't initially designed to be a, a, Lob- a legislative sure. lobbying mm-hmm. group. Um, uh, so, you know, we are, you know, as, as an organization at recipe, we are talking to, to those folks who are, uh, are there, uh, talking to politicians. I would say that there's a couple of things. One, um, you know, again, protection for for restaurant owners uh, that they, you know, the CRA can't come in and freeze their accounts or, you know, they can't get locked out of their, their restaurants. But I think we're, if you go back and you look at the, the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, one of the, one of the problems was the support that was given um, uh, really wasn't enough to get people back up and operating and, and working. And, you know, Alex raised this and, you know, when you, 
the longer the, the mandated shutdowns uh, happen, the, the, the higher the working uh, capital costs are going to be to restart. You may not bring back all your employees, so you're going to have to hire people. You're going to have to bring them in. Um, and there's, so it's like opening a new restaurant again, and there's, there's working capital that uh, is required. Well, if people's bank accounts are depleted, they're not going to have that working capital to, to rehire and restart. And the faster that we can get people back employed, again, if you think about this industry, right, its primary purpose is to employ people, you know, with, with, with margins, if you take industry averages of somewhere under 5%, yet typical labor costs um, are 30 or 30 plus percent. So we employ people. That's the primary function of what we do. We probably employ as a, as a percentage of our overall sales uh, higher than any other industry you can think of. So getting people back to work um, is critical to getting the overall economy jumpstarted. And that's really where a government, I think, can come in to provide, um, you know, I call them forgivable loans mm -hmm. uh, of working capital to restaurant owners um, uh, to, to be able to rehire and restart their business and get people back to work. And I think it can be, uh, again, not to get into the mechanics of how that gets done, but I think it can be done simply. Uh, and if you're, you know, if you're agreeing to hire back and, and keep employed 80 or 90 percent of the, your, you know, your 2019 payroll, you can have these loans uh, turn into grants that are forgiven. Okay, so that that's that's something that would make you as a as an owner operator happy. Well, I think it. I think it's not about making us happy. I think it's about. I think it's necessary. Otherwise, I think the failure rate of people that are just simply saying we're not going to reopen um, is going to be much higher because they're not going to have the ability to to to, be, to bounce back. So I guess looking, this is a really hard situation because we don't know how long it's going to last. So, you know, when we first got uh, told that we had to stay, you know, at home or what have you, we thought maybe it'd be a week or two, and now it's turning out to be longer and longer, and we have no idea when it's going to end. What do you think um, are going to be some of the fundamental changes that the industry will see moving forward when this finally does end, whenever that is? And I know that the longer we stay away, the harder it will be. But how do you think the industry will change moving forward because of this? I'll, uh, I'll take a stab at that. I think, you know, the one, there's a lot of unknowns, obviously. And, you know, the biggest concern uh, is even that period once things do go back to normal and the, and the government has reduced or removed this physical distancing mandate. There's still, you know, there's going to be, I think there's going to be some significant changes to uh, consumer behavior patterns, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I think that, you know, it's going to take a while for people to feel comfortable uh, to go back out in public and sit around in a restaurant and enjoy a meal uh, and have that close interaction. I mean, our, our business is all about, uh, you know, close interaction. Uh, you know, we've had uh, some instances in our restaurants, especially our smaller restaurants, where we're doing such a great job on the customer side that we've now had to focus all of our efforts on providing that distancing for our employees as well, because our customers are identifying it. 
And, you know, Anita mentioned it earlier, you, you just can't do that in most restaurants. Most restaurants are designed to be efficient and uh, space is supposed to be controlled. And, and, you know, you want your staff working closely together so that you can work efficiently and get, and get, get plates out quickly. But I just think that there's going to be a change, a fundamental change for a little while as to how people are viewing uh, you know, dining out and interacting with uh, with small businesses. And I think that it's going to take us time to make people feel comfortable again. And uh, it's going to take some time for us to ha- get this behind us. And, I, you know, my, my fear uh, to some extent, although, you know, is that, you know, the gig economy is coming, right? It's been coming for a while. And, and you know, it's been only three, three years really that it's really impacted the restaurant industry with these online aggregators uh, taking over such a big part uh, and influencing our business so much. You know, that's the thing that I fear because it's not the part of the business that I enjoy. Uh, it's, a, it's a necessity, sure. Uh, it's part of the business. Uh, some businesses can adapt to it and others can't, but it's, uh, it's a challenging business because we've now taken our brands and put it in the hands of somebody else who's representing our brands. And in a time like this, uh, I think many of them have stepped up their game, uh, but you really start to see some of the faults in that relationship. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, six months post uh, the crisis being over, that people will come out and when they feel really comfortable um, that the, the pandemic is behind us and it's safe, that people will, you know, take back that lost luxury of being being able to go out to a small business and buy clothes off of a rack and touch them and and go back to a restaurant and and tip uh, the servers that you know um, work so hard uh, to you know to serve them and just give back to the to the small uh, you know to the local communities and be really supportive. I'm hopeful that that'll come, um, but it's going to take some time. It really is. It's going to take a few months afterwards. Do you think this may spur the growth of um, ghost kitchens as was already happening? Do you think this will kind of push that more? Yeah, I think so. from my perspective, I think it, it will. And uh, I know Frank can talk to that as well. But I think that, you know, the one thing that's that people are realizing and Anita mentioned it, not every restaurant can survive under that platform, you know, and frankly, um, you know, especially some of the amazing restaurants that we've all taken for granted over the years and enjoyed, you know, their food just shouldn't be put in a takeout package and delivered, right? Course, and yeah. it, it's it's just not, you know, it's not the experience that, you know, most restaurateurs and chefs want for their food. Some will and some will adapt quickly. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it'll be certainly it'll be a catalyst uh, for ghost kitchens. Uh, and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll provide for that platform. I think at some point, though, people are going to miss that face-to-face interaction. And the, when things get back to normal, uh, there'll be a lot of time spent um, you know, welcoming that interaction that they used to have. Very good points. Frank, uh, from your perspective, what, what do you think will be the fundamental change? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Alex. I think, you know, this is all going to be obviously linked to, um, you know, what happens from just a, uh, medical perspective, you know, a vaccination that comes out and, and, you know, I think we're all social creatures, right? I mean, it would be an absolute tragedy if um, those uh, small, intimate settings of restaurants that we all enjoy went away. That would just be an absolute tragedy. And I don't think that will be. I think um, it may take some time. I do think it's linked to what's going on um, uh, as far as having a, a vaccine. But I think, you know, hockey games will start again. People will go to arenas. They're gonna go to concerts. We're social beings. 
um, the, the period of time, how long that takes, I do think it's going to be a phase mm-hmm. in, uh, and the length of time is, is anybody's guess. Um, so I think the industry, you know, if, if government and people do the right things can, can bounce back and, and hopefully bounce back quickly. I think you have to, you know, if you want to look at what's going to happen from a social perspective, uh, other social change may be outside of our industry and, and people that work in office towers and buildings is that how many, how many executives are going to say, you know, that this, uh, this, uh, uh, working from home is not such a bad thing. And you may see some fundamental changes mm-hmm. in that, in those spaces. But I, I think our industry will, will bounce, will bounce back. Um, it, it, to Alex's point, it'll just be a question of, you know, uh, how quickly. And Anita, from the smaller operator perspective, what do you think are some of the fundamental changes coming? Uh, well, there's a couple of things I just wanted to address there. And, and, um, the one being, I, I think it's utopian to think that as soon as the doors uh, are allowed to be open again, that there's going to be this influx of people running out and let's go and, you know, jumping and skipping and um, going to enjoy ourselves. I mean, I, I think that would be lovely, but I don't think it's realistic. So again, it, it pushes that whole um, financial issue of deferment. Everything's going to come crashing down in six months and eight months and a year after this. That's when the trickle down effect will happen. That's when all the GST will be, you know, absolutely have to be due and and isn't forgiven. And, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that you've deferred is now going to come due. And that's what's going to, if you can get open, um, I think that's what people have to remember is is that's when the trauma is really going to hit us for the second time. It'll be like right. the second move. And despite even all my customers are daily sending me uh, messages. Are you open? Are you open? When are you going to open? What are you going to do? Um, we want to support you. Um, everyone's going to be afraid. Everyone's going to be tentative to go out. And I think it will take a long time to rebuild again because we can't get back these few months of closed. So I think it's crucial. Um, it's crucial that we get that kind of assistance that the guys were talking about. It's, it's imperative. Um, and as far as going forward changes, uh, in a small business like ours, where, um, I I don't know how we would, (laughs) you, you physically almost can't change because there is no luxury of space. Mm Uh, we're a business that, you know, 80% of our clients, we know by their first name. And they come in and they give you a big hug and they sit down and that's all part of it. So it's going to be different. There'll be changes. And I think the industry will be scarred by this for a really long time. But, um, you know, as the guys were saying, I, I have huge concerns about, you know, what happened to my bottle lady. And I, I think everyone who lives in any neighborhood remember, you knows that there's people who, who simply survive on taking your empty bottles. All right. <laughs> we have a bottle lady who's been coming to us for as long as I can remember. And that's how she survives. Incredible. And then, you know, like these are people that live under the, the cusp of society and are just trying to get by and what's happened to them. Yeah. The impacts are, are just mind boggling when you really start to think of all of those areas. So, I mean, 
it, it's a tough situation. We all know it's tough and it's going to get tougher over the next while. But I guess it's it's important for restaurant operators and owners out there to feel a little bit of light or positivity that might be coming down the road. Um, what's your advice to restaurant owners and operators with regard to the next steps? Because the question of when this is going to end is on everybody's mind and we just don't know. So how can they hang in, I guess, uh, while we, while we work through that journey together? Um, as far oh, oh sorry, as far no, as someone, uh, again, at my side, I am positive. Despite all these concerns I have, they're concerns. I can't wait to get back open. Um, you know, again, my store is closed. My food, I don't think will travel well. Um, it's, it's not who we are. We're an experience. So I can't wait to get open. And I, I would suggest do everything you can to pretty up your spaces and get them ready. And um, I'm hoping that, you know, I keep in touch with all my clients via email and, and social media to say we're coming and I and I talk to all my staff and I am truly positive and I can't wait to get open. And you know, when you're a restauranter, you're used to the hills and valleys of this business. And as the guys were saying, the margins are always small. So it's not something we're not used to. And I think this is just it's a big hump, but it's one we'll get over. And um, I think if we keep our voice united and keep people feeling good about going out when it's the right time, that we're there for them and we're we're ready. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say, I know you've been off and laid off too, but when you do have money again, please come and spend it at my place. <laughs> but, um, but I want that family back. I want my, my Sotobocha family back. You know, I want all my clients to come visit me again. And I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for the weather to be great and for this to be over and to see them all and make them all happy and have good times again. And I think, you know, just think back to all the recessions and, and post, post, um, you know, post wars, post all of those things afterwards, I just picture we have to think of it like we're going to have a big celebration when this is over and we'll all get through it together and keep moving forward. Well, all we can do is hope Frank and, and uh, Alex, what would you like to add? Well, um, I think that to Anita's point that, um, you know, you, you got to use this time to reflect, right. And, uh, Historically, it's probably the worst thing that's ever happened to the economy or small businesses in a couple generations. And uh, I think if, if people, uh, certainly small business, uh, can withstand this, they'll be able to handle anything that's thrown at them, anything. And so I think it's important that people don't give up. I think it's important that they hold true to their dreams and you know all the work, uh, sweat, and tears and money that they've put into their businesses over the years, if they hold true to that, um, and don't give up. You just use the time to reflect and prepare when we do open because there will be better times ahead once we get through this. And it's just a matter of hanging on. And that's why I think the one table voice is so important because it's, it's bring back, uh, bring everyone's voice forward to get the help that we need so we can make it through this and, uh, and be resilient. So just hang on. Great advice, Alex. Frank, last word. Yeah, I would say that uh, I agree with Anita and Alex. I mean, it is a very resilient uh, people that have been in this business and have been in it for any length of time um, certainly uh, uh, have resiliency as one of their main characteristics. But it's a it's an industry that needs help. Um, 
there's just, uh, you know, I have no doubt that if people have the opportunity uh, to be able to restart and reopen that uh, if they've been around for 10 or 15, 20 years, that they will make it through, but they need help and they need um, uh, government assistance in that, in that, in that aid. So, you know, from our perspective as a, as an organization, we're going to continue to do, I think, whatever we can um, uh, to, you know, get that, get that voice out there. Um, the stories that you, know, you start seeing coming into one table, um, you know, they're, they're real, they're authentic, and in some cases, they're heartbreaking. And everyone just needs to hear those stories. And, um, and hopefully the government will come in and uh, the aid will be there so that we can all break bread again uh, together. Well, on that note, um, thank you all for your time and, and for your energy during this very difficult uh, time, and also for sharing your thoughts today with our listeners, and most importantly, for launching this important initiative called uh, One Table. Um, I think what you've done in, in a very short time to put this together is just pretty amazing and pretty impressive, but it also speaks to the fact that, you know, when we all come together and work together on initiatives, you know, we can do amazing, amazing things. And I really believe that together we are stronger. So, so kudos to all of you for, for undertaking this. Good luck with the transition to hopefully what will be better days in the next few weeks. And, uh, and again, thanks for, for taking the time. It's, it's a difficult time and we really appreciate it. And more than importantly, be safe. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.